Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we chat with digital thoughts creator, Dr. Zane Sayeth. And if you're interested in hearing more about what I'm doing with maternal health, check out www.rxformom.com and reach out if you are a pediatric pharmacist or pharmacist interested in maternal health. I'm looking for others who are also passionate about that and want to help with some content. Or maybe you're also a mom and have questions just like I did. So reach out. Let me know what you think about this project. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Zane Syeth, is a PharmD who is an oncology pharmacist with 10 years of experience turned product manager. He's a health systems expert who specializes in oncology and pain management and has worked in a variety of settings, including infusion clinic, inpatient, outpatient, and investigational drug services. And he has his own newsletter and podcast called Digital Thoughts, where he shares more about how to create better health tech products. He's got over a thousand founders, clinicians, and executives uh, listening in or, or reading up on his Substack, stack. Uh, and I'll share the link in the bio. So Zane, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you made, wow, you made me sound really impressive. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit more about your personal life. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, like you mentioned, I'm a pharmacist by training. Um, I, the stuff that I didn't, that's not in there, like, you know, the thing that I don't really put out too much of there is like, you know, about six years ago, I had, because people always ask me like, why tech? What, what led you to this point? Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it was because, you know, after I graduated and got into the workforce, I saw like problems that I was like, ah, this needs to be solved. And I tried to look for if anyone had solved them, I couldn't find anything. So I was like, okay, let me see if I can solve it on my own. So I, I started a, a health tech company about six to eight years ago, maybe a couple of years into my into me being a pharmacist, uh, working actually after my residency. Um, unfortunately, we didn't make it out of the pre-seed round, but mm-hmm. I learned that, um, and this might sound dumb to some people, but at, before that, I didn't think that technology was even a career path for uh, for me at all. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought that the clinical side and the tech side would are always separate and mm-hmm. we only interact with each other when we have to. And what that what starting my own company, like in working in my own startup showed me was, no, not only should not only can we not only do we have a place in tech, but we we, we can really thrive in it. Right. Um, because we bring a, we bring a subject matter expertise that doesn't exist uh, in the tech world. Um, so after my after, you know, we kind of closed shop. Um, I, you know, I was doing that part-time, I was doing full-time farm, being a full-time pharmacist. Uh, I just couldn't shake that feeling. And then one day, and this is, again, I want to preface all this by saying I loved my job. I loved where I worked. Uh, but you know, one day, one of my students had asked me like, Hey Zan, like, you know, you have an awesome job, which I did. I was doing awesome things. I really loved who I was working with, you know, loved the patient population, everything. Um, and he said, Hey, I could see you, I could see myself working your job for the rest of my life. 
do you see that do you do you think you can work you can do you think you can do the same thing do you think you could work this job for the rest of your life and it it wasn't until then i thought about it and i had to really like kind of and in my mind it felt like i i was it was five minutes but it was maybe like five seconds um and i answered him and i said no and i didn't really know why i said no i just said no because i was like uh, it didn't feel right like I, I knew that i wanted to do more but i just didn't know what i wanted to do so i had to kind of look back and think about you know when was i the happiest in my career like what brought me like real joy um and when you know when was i feeling like you know i'm doing something and it all brought me back to my startup and again this has nothing to do with where i worked or whatever again i loved what i did but it was you know everyone has their own path and i think that we do a disservice by uh force feeding pharmacists uh students down you know the traditional two or three paths i think that there's so much there's so much um that we can do and we do a disservice to our own profession by, you know, kind of not closing off paths, but not opening doors uh, that might exist. So after that, I was like, OK, there's something to this. You know, I, I went back to my startup and was like, OK, I wasn't getting paid any money. I was staying up all night trying to figure out things. There's something to this. Right. I can't be this crazy where, you know. Um, so, yeah, I spent the next three and a half years trying to decide to figure out what I wanted to do and kind of restarting the whole process. And, you know, I have probably hundreds and hundreds of rejections in my inbox. I still actually keep getting them <laughs> uh, because mm -hmm. companies are now looking through my applications for some reason. But yeah, no, during that time, I did a lot of networking, a lot of soul searching and kind of landed on product management um, and found that I was a, basically the product manager for my startup. Um, and, um, you know, once I kind of honed in on that, I started my newsletter and podcast because, you know, I wanted to bring a clinician, the clinician voice into tech and bring our side to it and kind of breed the bridge between the technology side and the clinical side. And, you know, product management, um, once I focused on product management, I was fortunate enough to have uh, find a job. So now I work at Amerisource Bergen as a product manager for their clinical clinic analytics tools. Um, so yeah, so that's just kind of a, a roundabout way of how I got to where I got to. Okay, well, let's Let's dive in at a couple of those those junction points. Um, so yeah, if you, if you've been practicing for over ten years, which I have as well, uh, the whole informatics track, if you will, was not really a thing. Um, at least when I was in school, and now that's certainly blown up. I mean, anytime I'm precepting students, I uh, encourage them like you know learn everything you can about Excel or um, you know, any of the data stuff, like, I mean, who knows, maybe Excel will it soon be extinct and we use AI and this and, you know, whatever, but, um, yeah, data is so king. And even if, you know, you don't consider yourself techie, it's still important to be able to know, um, what questions you want to ask and then, um, you know, be able to embrace and, uh, and kind of look at what some of that information's telling us. So, um, I think that's great. I loved hearing more about your, um, you know, passions of, of starting up as a startup and some of the struggles because, you know, what 90, 94% of startups fail. Um, it's only a, a very small amount that are super successful. So, um, you know, it may sound glamorous, but it's, uh, definitely some hard work. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about this, you know, product manager role. What is, what is product, uh, what is a product manager and how did you come to that conclusion and pitch yourself to, 
and Marisource Bergen is that. Yeah. And so we'll start with what a product manager is. Um, that's a good question because I don't think product managers know what they are. You know, I think because I could say that tongue in cheek, but the product manager role, uh, depending on the company you work for, um, can be wildly different. Right. Um, and a lot of times product management and project management, uh, get interchanged when they're completely separate jobs. So basic function of a product manager is you are creating the vision of the product. You're creating the roadmap years in advance, you know, four or five years in out, and you are taking input from all stakeholders, meaning, you know, the, the direction of the company from like the C-suite down, uh, your customers, your developers, your UI UX people, you're kind of, you're kind of the hub in the, in the wheel, right? All the spokes are connecting to you. So, um, so it can get pretty crazy because you're dealing with, you have to do a lot of, you know, contact switching and a lot of interacting with different people that don't see the other side of it because you kind of see the 30,000 foot view, but everyone else is only seeing their little slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to what you do in, you know, as a pharmacist, right. Whether you're working retail or not, like you, and the other thing is you have to lead with that authority. No one reports to me, right. Even though I have, even though product manager has product manager underneath the name manager in the name, most times product managers are no one's reporting to the product manager. All right. Unless you're like the senior product manager or whatever, then you have other ones. But if you're just, a, you don't have, so you have to lead with that authority. You have to get people to buy in. You have to get people to kind of pull at the same side of the rope and really buy into what you're building. And that's the same, and, and that's the same thing in, in medicine is when you're a pharmacist, you have to, you don't have, I mean, I say this tongue in cheek, but it's true. Uh, we don't really honestly have authority. Uh, we, people trust us, the, That's but that's completely different than authority. People trust us and they, and we have to sometimes convince uh, providers, nursing staff, patients, whoever to take our input because we see the bigger picture, right? And we also have to talk to multiple stakeholders. You know, one time, you know, in, in an hour, you could be talking to the doctor, nurse, patient, family, insurance company, whatever. And all those conversations require a completely different um, lingo, language, approach. Um, so I think that my, I think that's one thing that I would stress to a lot of clinicians that are looking into the tech world. You don't have to be a tech person. Uh, the majority of product management, I would say 90% of it and more is about communication, being able to say what you mean in a way where the, where your audience can understand it. And I think we do this all the time in the clinical world, but we just take it for granted. Um, and that's, that's kind of where my, that's kind of where like the, the switch flip for me was when I realized all the transferable skills that I've been honing for the last nine to 10 years are exactly the skills that are useful in the tech world. It's just, we just have to change the names of the stakeholders or the activity and just relate it to something that they understand. Um, so that's kind of what I, you know, jumped in when I was in my interview with Amerisource and just, I, I took all my stories and I just replaced the names with, you know, if you just said, Hey, this is, I, I literally took the job description went point by point, I related it to a story and I related it in a way where they could understand it. Right. Um, and it worked, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of how, I don't know if that answered your question, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Uh, and I think that's such an important point is, uh, having good communication skills and, you know, the data or the techie people can be great at what they do, but if they can't 
communicate the value or like what the analysis or kind of the results to the, you know, non there's, you know, all these wires that can be crossed. So somebody that can kind of speak both languages um, is really important to get that forward. And I loved hearing about the hub and spoke um, type model. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of the examples of some of the products that you're um, helping to cast vision for and, uh, you know, what we can, can be looking forward to from that standpoint. Yeah. So, um, so the products that I'm working on, can't go into too much detail in it, but, uh, the general purpose of the products is we are taking in data, uh, from different sources and we're trying to, and we're trying to present it back to clinicians uh, in a way that's useful for them. So they're not only, so one thing, let's step back a little bit. So guidelines right now are just changing at a breakneck speed, right? Like um, mm -hmm. research is just going crazy. We're finding new things over and over again. And especially in the oncology world, there's like a new drug coming out like every day, uh, every mm -hmm. week it seems like. And it's mm -hmm. really hard to stay up, stay, stay on top of it. So, you know, I come from the academic medical side of things. That's where I, that's where the majority of my career, well, almost all my career was mm -hmm. uh, as a pharmacist and we had trouble with it. So the products that we're developing is to kind of help uh, smaller clinics and such stay, stay on top of the guidelines and be able to fill the gaps for their patients. Another thing is with healthcare um, is the majority of healthcare happens outside of our four walls. You know, you know, the average person sees their PCP for like seven minutes um, a year. You know, if you go twice a year, 14 minutes, uh, that's not a lot of time uh, to, to handle, you know, medical, you know, your medical conditions, especially chronic conditions. So, you know, we're trying to create uh, the two products that I'm working on. One is focused in urology, the other one's focused in oncology. Um, and, you know, we're trying to create a product where we can fill the gaps uh, adequate. Well, we can help them fill the gaps. And then on top of that, the other thing is, you know, I, it took me a while to kind of get, get, get to this, but you know, as a system, you have to make money. You cannot help anyone if you're not making any money. Uh, so the other, other part of it is to be able to help these practices maximize, um, basically maximize their time and maybe increase some of their revenue. But number one, obviously is we want to fill in the gaps, uh, so that they can take care of their patients, um, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, you know, I, I hope people are noticing that uh, diversifying services is something that a lot of these companies are doing. So, you know, the first thing that probably comes to mind is you hear Cardinal or McKesson or Amerisource is a drug distributor. Well, you just, you know, describe something that is completely non um, you know, within the, you know, logistics or, or supply chain, but it's still a value add for their customers. Um, and so, yeah, creating those, you know, um, data valuable solutions is, is important. It's really interesting to hear, um, all of the, I mean, gosh, like the rate of information that we've got to be able to consume, is so fast paced and, um, being able to have some of these tools should certainly be helpful. Well, Zane, um, tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, you've got this podcast and, uh, newsletter. What are some of the things that, you know, are really exciting you about tech and healthcare and how pharmacy can really utilize that? Oh man. Um, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of areas where pharmacy can utilize it, but I think that pharmacy needs to kind of look and see, 
you know, where do we want to be? You know, where does the pharmacy profession want to be? Do we want to be status quo and move that way? Or do we want to push the profession forward? And whatever, whatever direction that happens to be, one, one is not better than the other. But I actually wrote an article um, a couple months ago about how I would, it's titled How I Would Replace Myself with a Robot. Um, and I kind of work, I kind of talk about how AI is coming, uh, whether we like it or not. And, it, and, and there's people actively trying to replace us with robots, uh, not just pharmacists, but clinicians in general, uh, whether we like it or not. And this is not meant to scare anyone or whatever, but I think what the, the point of it, that article was, you know, we need to start looking at, we need to start pushing ourselves into areas where it can't be easily uh, taken away. For example, face-to-face -face visits, uh, anything dealing with, um, you know, our minds, right? Like you really need a pharmacist to do these kind of things. Uh, it's going to be really hard for AI to replace that, but AI can replace, you know, dispensing and checking to a certain point. Um, and all those things are coming down the road. And so the things that I'm really excited about is, I mean, I think AI is going to be uh, the next, it's going to be akin to kind of the, um, I can't think of the word right now, but uh, <laughs> uh, what is it called? Uh, anyways, the, uh, Industrial revolution, that's what I'm looking for. It's going to be kind of like the next industrial revolution of our time because it is going to be pretty disruptive. But the thing with me is with my newsletter and podcast is I want to kind of simplify it for clinicians uh, and also help tech people understand the clinical side. But in terms of the clinical clinician side is simplify these, these uh, really big ideas and kind of distill them down in a way that they can understand it and, you know, show them like, hey, it's not that scary and you can, and we, not only is it not scary that we can, leverage these and 10x our output and in the end all that's going to do is help the patient and so that's kind of what i'm trying to do with that but yeah ai is always something that's interesting um i think the problem with ai is i love ai but there's, it's being it's being pushed into things that it's not ready for like for example like it's not going to replace a clinician anytime soon it's just not it's just not at that point yet it can it has trouble doing basic algebra. So, you know, telling it, saying that, oh, it's going to be able to take in all the emotional inputs, um, all the guideline inputs and be able to spit out something and uh, take care of patients. It's just not possible. But it, what, it, what it can do, what I'm, what I'm most excited about, and I, it's kind of a running joke with me, is administrative tasks, right? Um, Note-taking, um, anything really that's administrative that, mm -hmm. that exists that just takes up so much time of our day, AI is great for that. And that's kind of what I'm excited for is like all the boring stuff that um, these technologies can do to kind of free us up to do what we all were trained to do. And that's practice medicine. Right now, the majority of our job is not practicing medicine. It is how can we effectively supplant the system that we are dropped into, you know, and, and that's not a way that's not a way to practice medicine in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, such. <laughs> How would I, how I would replace myself? Um, I'm sure you've got lots of views on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and AI has been around for a long time. Yep. Um, you know, it's been around for a long, long time. It's just really, um, kind of, you know, hitting, I guess right now, lots of, uh, discussion about it, but we've been using, you know, even just, uh, Hey Siri for, um, several years now, and I guess she keeps getting smarter and smarter, but, um, okay. Well, interesting. Um, yeah. So are there any things that, that you're doing kind of personally, or that you would recommend, 
that people do if they wanted to learn more about uh, the tech side of healthcare? Yeah, I think that, I think just try things out. There's a lot. I mean, I the, the easiest way to kind of understand like the AI technology is just log into ChatGPT and just start asking it questions um, and see like where where it fails and where it doesn't, you know. Um, you know, just understand like the basics of the tech. You don't have to learn how to code. You don't have to do any of that. Uh, but just understanding the basics of technology, like what a, what is a large language model? What is a database? You know, what is all these things and how do they connect with each other? Just knowing that kind of stuff is going to be very impactful. You don't have to transition yourself into tech or anything, but just you're going to need to know all these things. Um, and then the other thing is if you know these things, A, it becomes less scary because you understand it. Um, it's literally, you know, the difference between a pharmacist and a patient. We understand what the medication is for and how it's going to work versus the patient doesn't, right? So uh, that's the same mindset we should take. Like we should just try to learn a little bit about it. And then just pick a project, pick something that you think that, you know, this would be cool if we had this and just kind of reverse engineer it and be like, okay, if I wanted X to be the output, how do I get to this point? You know, then you'd see, okay, I need A, oh, oh, and then I need B and I need C. You don't have to code it, but you at least you can conceptualize it. Be like, okay, I need these three systems to be able to do this. I need these four systems to do this. Oh, actually, I don't even need these three systems. I can just do it with this one system. Um, and just having that kind of, um, just going through that exercise just mentally is also very, very impactful. Um, so that's kind of how I would say is just start. Just start with like ChatGPT, one of these AI models. Just start asking it questions, seeing where it works well, where it doesn't work well, and then just start working backwards from solutions and seeing if you could solve them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, I think that that demystifies it a little bit. Um, so are there there any other things that um you know you learn from your startup experience and you know if if there was like one thing that you could solve like you, you mentioned like I've seen the dark side of healthcare and the lack of access and financial struggles and people falling through the cracks um what do you what would you say is like one of the biggest um challenges that we have in healthcare and um, I don't know if you're brave enough to try to answer what's, what's maybe a solution on that we could, could go for to, to try to tackle that. Yeah. I think that, and so this is a question I ask myself all the time, uh, pretty much every day. Um, I think that one thing that we need to realize is all of us are really good at certain things and we all can't solve every single problem. So even with my startup, my big my biggest thing to so just to get right to the answer, my biggest thing is I think that we need to give back healthcare ownership back to the patients, and that meaning meaning by that is, you know, when you're renting a house versus buying a house, you know, mm-hmm. when you rent a house, you're always like, okay, somebody else will repair this washing machine. Oh, somebody else will fix this hole in the wall or whatever. When it's your house, you are the one responsible for fixing that washing machine, you know, fixing the hole, all that stuff. And medicine has turned into I feel like we're just renting our health right now because we don't have, you know, we don't give patient access to the data. We don't give them really any autonomy over their healthcare. We're, we live, we do it in a way where we tell them what to do rather than work with them, which, which, what is the best way of them taking care of themselves? That's one thing. And the way I would start with that is just giving them ownership of their data. So my startup was around that idea where it was going to be basically a medical briefcase where you you had your record you could take them anywhere you wanted to go and you weren't 
locked down into the hospital you were at or or you know travel is a big thing you know you're traveling around and you know you, god forbid something happens and you know they need to know what allergies you have and they can't figure it out right you know i worked in oncology and you know people would come from all over the place uh and we would get faxes of hundreds of sheets half mm -hmm. of them were illegible and you know the patient would come in thinking that we were all up to speed with everything and we weren't so we just wasted another day right um so things like that i think i would just and the thing is i would start from the bottom we can't solve the big problems unless we fix the foundational problems of healthcare and for me that's just data ownership um and i can go i can go on this for days and days but that's kind of the first step i would take is the data ownership and the data interoperability and if we can get that part done then i think we can work everything else can kind of build off of that mm -hmm. yeah that's um that's great. And, you know, I read this book, I'll have to try to see if I can find it real quick. Um, but it was a journalist that went to all these other different countries with kind of the same ailment, um, just to experience how different healthcare systems in different countries, um, you'd flow through the system and what kind of care you received. And, uh, one of the big takeaways was that France had this, like, you know, whatever it was like, not a floppy, but some kind of piece of, of information that the patient owned and they could literally take it with them to any provider anywhere. And like, Oh, it had all their information on it. It wasn't like, Oh, they went to X hospital and now they're at Y clinic and the two systems don't talk together. So, um, yes, definitely would be a huge improvement if we had, uh, access to that. Uh, so Zane, as our final question, I'd love to ask all of our guests, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? I would tell them to explore all avenues. Don't just take everything for face value. Um, if there's something that you truly enjoy, explore it. Um, and there's probably a way you can incorporate pharmacy into it. Um, I think that we, like I, I kind of started off with this, I think we do a disservice to a lot of great people and just kind of put them in a box and think that, you know, I would, I would tell people just break the box wide open and um, just explore what's out there. Cause there's a lot of amazing things. A lot of people that are doing amazing things and network early um, network, network, network. Um, there's a reason why people say that all the time and um, it's invaluable. If you can build a good network and figure out what, and it also helps you figure out what else is out there. Um, and then just, it's, I'm not saying like, Oh, you know, follow your passion or whatever and everything will work out. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like, you'd be surprised at what is out there and what uh, maybe something that you really enjoy, you can make a career out of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Zane, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest on the talk to your pharmacist podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.